0: I know what you're thinking. I know what you're thinking. I know what you're thinking. I know. I know. I know. I know what you're thinking as you're tuning in today, Tuesday, October 11th, 2016. You want a Cameron Meredith dance party. I know that's what you want, and I know that's what you expect. I know. I know. It makes perfect sense that when the deepest of deep, 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 deep sleepers would hit in the most epic way, winning our listeners tens of thousands of dollars, I've received a number of lineups cashing thousands of dollars on DraftKings and FanDuel. Why? Because they featured Sammy Coates and Cameron Meredith. This is cause for celebration. It is. I don't dispute that. Most of you are tuning in expecting to hear a Cameron Meredith dance party naturally. Because of course you are. That's what I do. When the number five receiver for the Chicago Bears becomes a starting receiver and goes out and posts nine receptions on 12 targets for 130 yards and a touchdown. (laughs) How could you not turn the music up and dance around the room when that happens? Of course. That's what you expect. But I don't think it's a good idea. We just did a Jarek McKinnon dance party last week. I don't want to be known as the guy that does dance parties every week. The listening public is going to grow weary of the dance party very soon if they haven't already. I understand there's a number of sicko diehards in this audience who would love to have a dance party every week. I know I've heard from you. You're excited about the inevitable dance party that you're going to hear today. And I'm here to tell you it's not going to happen. I don't want to be that podcast host that's constantly defaulting to my hobby horse segment device. Oh, another player we touted broke out. Hey, told you so. Hey, dance party. Turn the music on. Dance parties need to be special and there needs to be a surprise element. You can't turn the show on knowing with definitive certainty that there will be a dance party because at that point, the mystique of the dance party has evaporated. It's gone. Then it just becomes another regular segment. We criticize the other fantasy shows frequently for stale formats. Walk through the box scores on Tuesday. Talk about the matchups on Thursday. Rinse, repeat rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat. If we did a Cameron Meredith dance party, we would just be rinsing and repeating, rinsing and repeating. Oh, it's Tuesday. Must be another fantasy mansion dance party. I've heard all the dance parties I want to hear. I'm not tuning in for this episode. If he decides to do something original, maybe I'll tune in. But my fear is the Fantasy Mansion dance party is going to become cliche, and I don't want to be just another cliche fantasy football podcast host that's not me one of the primary goals of the show is originality and if we did a cameron meredith dance party we'd be slipping into default segment redundant radio default segment redundant radio unoriginal redundant radio and i'm not going to do it you have to understand i'm conflicted about this Because on the one hand, I strive for originality. On the other hand, I strive to please the audience. And there's a group of vocal listeners who really want a Cameron Meredith dance party. You all started him last week. You're excited. You want to celebrate. I get it. I did too. I started him in the Roto World Expert League. Crushed. I get it. A completely unknown wide receiver with a 1032 95th percentile catch radius is promoted out of obscurity and somehow finds his way into the starting lineups of Roto Underworld Radio listeners and posts nine catches for 130 yards and a touchdown? If there was ever an occasion to turn on the house music and dance around the room, Cameron Meredith's Week 5 performance represents... The best possible reason to party. And that's the reason we're not going to party. It's going to be no celebration. We crushed a grand slam with Cameron Meredith. And we're going to act like we've been there before. Enough dancing around the bases like... A rookie baseball player just called up from AAA. We're going to smash a home run. We're going to set the bat down. And we're going to casually jog around the bases. No jumping up and down after we touch third base. No histrionics. Take our batting gloves off. Put them in our back pocket and walk calmly to the dugout. If we're going to be calling players like Cameron Meredith every week, we need to start acting like we've been there before. And there were a lot of other impressive performances from week five. I want to talk about those today. And I want to look forward to week six and, and talk about which players you should be adding from your free agent pool who could erupt this coming weekend. So we're moving on from Cameron Meredith. Are you fucking Cameron dance party! Put the fucking hands up! 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 Hands up! Hands up! Hands up! Hands Turn it off. I'm actually serious about this. We need to act like we've been there before. I'm reading the comments on YouTube and Reddit. Matt Kelly is obnoxious. He only wants to talk about the players he was right about. He doesn't want to talk about the players he was wrong about. All he wants to do is tell everyone how smart he is. Matt Kelly is the worst. He is a blowhard who thinks he's the smartest guy in the room, but he's not. He's a clown. That's the perception. Some people have that perception. I don't want to feed that perception with one victory lap after another. Never mind that I've never said I'm smarter than other analysts. The confident position from which I speak is often misconstrued as arrogance. And these dance parties are not helping. But I've never said, I'm smart, I'm a genius, I'm definitely not. And I've never uttered anything close to that on these airwaves. But these dance parties only perpetuate this perception and they need to end. I am putting a moratorium on the dance parties as of this moment. We're closing the club down now that we've had our Cameron Meredith dance party. Club closed. DJ go home. People with a body paint and the platform shoes and the cages. Come on down. Put a jacket on. We're heading out. Shutting this place down. It's killing my credibility on social media. Cameron Meredith just happened to work out. We got lucky. We're not any smarter than anyone else. Let's move on and talk about other players. No more dance parties. Stop fuck it. I love Cameron Meredith. Cameron Meredith. Everybody. Cameron Meredith. Your Cameron Meredith. Put that, put that. Touting Cameron Meredith was one of the easiest calls of my fantasy football podcast career. It's called asymmetrical touting. I'm waiting for the other fantasy analysts to discover this tout skeleton key. We were able to tout Cameron Meredith so strongly because it was an asymmetrical proposition. I'm waiting for more fantasy analysts to identify the asymmetrical players. The asymmetrical tout is my favorite type of tout. You find a player with incredible upside and no downside. And make as much noise about that player as you can possibly make across all platforms. That's what we did with Cameron Meredith. It's a very straightforward proposition. If Cameron Meredith posts nine catches for 130 yards and a touchdown, we can do a double dance party. If he doesn't and he catches three catches for 30 yards, oh well. He was $3,000 on DraftKings. Let's move on to week six. That's my favorite type of proposition. Lots of upside, very little downside. The asymmetrical tout. Cameron Meredith embodies a handful of my favorite fantasy tout devices. The asymmetrical weekly tout heading into week five, as well as the unfalsifiable season-long position that cameron meredith is a better football player than kevin white this position sounds ultra contrarian while also being completely safe kevin white is on the ir he can't play a snap from week six through week 17 to prove me wrong so i am like the gangster who has my goons tie up the rival and I just get to beat the shit out of him for the rest of the season and he can't fight back that's what's going on behind the scenes of my Cameron Meredith is a better football player than Kevin White position it's aggressive it's contrarian with lots of told you so potential but it's also safe no downside because Kevin White isn't available to prove me wrong now beyond tout mechanics. There are two specific reasons why I am confident that Cameron Meredith is a better football player than Kevin White, whether or not Kevin White is healthy enough to produce or not. Firstly, Cameron Meredith is younger than Kevin White, and Kevin White has never posted more than 62 yards in his NFL career despite receiving 7, 6, 14, and 9 targets, respectively, through Four games. Kevin White's yards per target in 2016 5.2, 121st in the league, dead last. Throwing a football to Kevin White this season yielded more than three less yards on a per-target basis than throwing a football to Jarvis Landry. And Jarvis Landry's 8.4 yards per target is 49th in the league. Every fantasy footballer knows Jarvis Landry is not a downfield threat. And yet, Jarvis Landry accumulated more than three yards per target, more than Kevin White so far in 2016. On the other hand, Cameron Meredith's yards per target, 9.1, 36th in the league. Cameron Meredith has also posted a plus. 11.7 production premium, and a plus 6.2 target premium, both in the top 40. Kevin White's production premium through four games, negative 32.1. His target premium, negative 46.8. Those were both outside the top 75 NFL wide receivers. The presence of Kevin White on the football field was a net negative for the Chicago Bears. The presence of Cameron Meredith on the football field for the Chicago Bears was a net positive. So those are the quantitative reasons why Cameron Meredith, is a better football player than kevin white but that's a small sample size four games for kevin white that's nothing well let's zoom out at west virginia kevin white 36.8 percent dominator rating 70th percentile cameron meredith 30.0 dominator rating 48th percentile cameron meredith yards per reception 16.1 kevin white 13.3 cameron meredith breakout age 22.0 kevin white 21.2 spark x score for kevin white 135.1 99th percentile cameron meredith's 112.9 71st percentile so at the college level kevin white was slightly more productive and is a more explosive athlete but on an nfl field thus far cameron meredith has been the explosive playmaker and kevin white has been the least efficient wide receiver in the nfl so when you add up both sides of the equation they come out about equal Cameron Meredith has been more impressive with a small sample size as a professional. Kevin White was a more impressive prospect. So at this point, evaluating Cameron Meredith versus Kevin White we can conclude it's a push. However, there is one factor that pushes Cameron Meredith over the top. We talked about this with George Kritikos last week. Cameron Meredith was not afforded the opportunity to dominate at Illinois State because he was a converted quarterback. He was new to the position. That's why he broke out at such a late age and wasn't able to dominate at the level that Kevin White dominated. Also, because Cameron Meredith played the quarterback position, he sees the game through a quarterback's eyes, similar to Terrell Pryor and Julian Edelman. Cameron Meredith has better instincts on the football field than Kevin White because of his early experience as a quarterback. So there is a very straightforward and reasonable explanation for Cameron Meredith's underwhelming college resume there isn't an explanation for kevin white's late breakout age and inefficient play as a professional receiver even going back to his time at west virginia look at that college yards per reception 13.3 30th percentile kevin white was a compiler at the college level he was overdrafted by the chicago bears clearly and there's no reasonable qualitative explanation for his inefficient play at the professional level that's why i firmly believe that cameron meredith is a better football player than kevin white and when we're projecting player production for the chicago bears wide receivers in 2017 i will most likely have cameron meredith ranked ahead of kevin white and when you go to our dynasty rankings player profiler.com forward slash player dash rankings you will see cameron meredith Nestled ahead of Kevin White on the dynasty rankings for that reason. Another interesting dichotomy in the context of the dynasty rankings in particular is Tevin Coleman and Devontae Freeman. We had a tweeter right into the show at Roto Underworld on Twitter. Without Devontae Freeman, wouldn't Tevin Coleman be a top five fantasy running back? My first instinct was to say yes, of course he would. Look at what Tevin Coleman is doing, sharing running back touches with Devontae Freeman. It's incredibly impressive. Tevin Coleman is scoring 18.9 fantasy points per game. That's seventh in the league. If Devontae Freeman were not on the field, of course Tevin Coleman would be in the top five. Right? 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 Not so fast. I love Tevin Coleman. I am the original Tevin Coleman tout. Go to YouTube, search Roto Underworld Radio and Tevin Coleman, and there's a video on YouTube called Yeah, But Tevin Coleman. It's grainy sound quality. It's from the old Underworld Pod blog talk radio platform. That was the first viral video I ever produced on YouTube because I love Tevin Coleman. You can appreciate my enthusiasm for Tevin Coleman. It's palpable, and I am just as enthusiastic about Tevin Coleman now as I was two years ago, maybe more so. The problem is Devonte Freeman is also a phenomenal running back. 6.9 fantasy points per game is top 10 in the league. Devontae Freeman, plus 3.5 production premium. That's top 30. Tevin Coleman production premium, 62.6. That's number two in the league. However, Devontae Freeman's juke rate, the elusiveness rating on playerprofiler.com, evaded tackles per touch... 29.3%, 19th in the league for Devontae Freeman. Tevin Coleman's juke rate, 12.7, 61st in the league. The relationship between Devontae Freeman and Tevin Coleman is very similar to the relationship we saw last year between Doug Martin and Charles Sims. It's just that Devontae Freeman is a much more efficient version of Doug Martin, just like Tevin Coleman is a much more efficient version of Charles Sims. And it's not just efficiency. Devontae Freeman is better in every way than Doug Martin. He's niftier. He's more explosive. He has a better feel for the game than Doug Martin. Same is true for Tevin Coleman. Even more explosive than Charles Sims. Look at what Tevin Coleman did last week in Denver. Against the league's best defense, four catches, 133 yards, and a touchdown. Tevin Coleman led the Falcons in targets and receiving yards. I mean, sickle cell this. I had to start Tevin Coleman in most leagues because Charles Sims was out. But I would have started Charles Sims over Tevin Coleman if I had the choice because Ryan Clark almost died playing in Denver with the sickle cell trait. He was in the hospital for days and lost multiple organs. Spleen, gone. Gallbladder, gone. To save his life. And Tevin Coleman said, I think I'm going to play in Denver with this trait. Yeah. The doctors were monitoring him. They were asking him how he was feeling throughout the game, and he kept looking at them and saying, I feel great. I'm scoring touchdowns, baby. I'm the seventh best running back in all of fantasy football. Yeah! Sickle, sell loose. Love Tevin Coleman, and I love Tevin Coleman in that satellite back role. What do we talk about? The pass-catching running backs often post the higher production premiums. Why is that? Because they're catching the ball in space and they have a lot fewer defenders that they have to beat in order to accumulate yards on any given down and distance. They're handing the ball off to Devontae Freeman in most cases and he has to maneuver his way around seven defenders. The Falcons are playing Tevin Coleman in the slot. They're throwing design screens to him where he has to blow past one defender and then the field opens up for him like the Serengeti. Just whoosh, turn on those Tevin Coleman afterburners, and off he goes, scampering for 40, 50, 60 yards. It's a hell of a lot easier to be efficient in that situation than it is in Devontae Freeman's situation. Devontae Freeman is doing the yeoman's work in Atlanta, and Tevin Coleman is soaking up the glory. It's like white men can't jump. Tevin Coleman is playing the Wesley Snipes character, and Devontae Freeman is Woody Harrelson. Devontae Freeman doing all the dirty work. Devontae Freeman inbounding the ball, setting the picks. Tevin Coleman draining the wide open threes. That's their relationship. If Devontae Freeman goes down, Tevin Coleman can't catch passes out of the slot anymore because they're going to need him in the backfield. He'll receive extra snaps, but he'll be a lot less efficient and won't be in a position to score as many long touchdowns. That's what we saw with Charles Sims in week three and week four. George Criticos talked about this. Charles Sims was running plays designed for Doug Martin, and he was posting 2.5 yards per carry in the process. Charles Sims was significantly more efficient in 2015, catching balls out of the backfield and out of the slot position. And the presence of Doug Martin enabled Charles Sims. Doug Martin going down ended up being a death sentence for Charles Sims. Because not only did he become an inefficient running back, he then hurt his knee and was put on injured reserve. So as a fantasy gamer, be careful what you wish for. Enjoy the Tevin Coleman explosive runs out of the satellite back position. I love satellite Tevin Coleman just spinning around the world, beaming down fantasy points to me. We talked about this with DeAndre Washington and Jalen Rashard. It's not necessarily bad to be in a committee. RBBC, RBBC, oh no, oh no, RBBC, no! No! Not running back by committee, no! No, not running back by committee. It can't be true. Don't do this. My running back must get all the running back touches. Yes. Must. No. Tevin Coleman has a 40% opportunity share. That's his percentage of running back. Targets and carries for the Atlanta Falcons. That's outside the top 40, but his fantasy points per game inside the top 10 because they're giving Tevin Coleman the ball in situations that he can exploit and he has the talent profile. A dominant college runner running for over 2,000 yards at Indiana, who also happens to run a 4 4 90th percentile 40 time and accumulated a 11.1% college target share, 79th percentile during his. His time at in Indiana, he’s perfectly equipped to play the superhero version of Charles Sims. Tevin Coleman is playing football like 2015 Charles Sims in an Iron Man suit. When Latavius Murray was on the field, DeAndre Washington was breaking long runs. Suddenly, DeAndre Washington was the primary running back, and Jalen Richard was the one breaking the long runs. Is this a coincidence? No! But that was no reason not to start DeAndre Washington. But you were wrong, Fantasy Mansion! You told me to start DeAndre Washington. I should have started Jalen Richard! You don't know what you're talking about. Do you watch the tape? Jalen Richard's more explosive than DeAndre Washington. What?! I wonder who these people are that comment on these videos on YouTube. I can't tell if this is all an elaborate ruse or there are people in this world who actually believe that Jalen Rashard is a more talented running back than DeAndre Washington. (laughs) There's no sarcasm font on YouTube. As long as Latavius Murray is out, you should not be benching DeAndre Washington. Just like you weren't benching Doug Martin last year, and you're not benching Devontae Freeman this year, you're not benching DeAndre Washington this year either. So what if 2015 Charles Sims and 2016 Tevin Coleman and 2016 Jalen Rashard are more efficient than their primary running back counterparts? If the team has a great run-blocking offensive line, which the Falcons do and the Raiders do, then both running backs in a committee can be fantasy viable. So this week, you'll be able to start both DeAndre Washington and Jalen Rashard if Latavius Murray is out. And as we mentioned earlier, Charles Sims was sent to injured reserve with a knee injury. And we received this email. Email us, rotounderworld at gmail.com. I'm calling bullshit on you, Fantasy Mansion, the listener writes. No one was cheering for Jaquiz Rogers to supplant Charles Sims last week. Hashtag straw man. Oh yeah, love it. Still doing it, aren't you? You're still doing the hashtags in the email. Well, there were Monday morning quarterbacks, or as I call them, Monday morning quarter blah, 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 blahs, who were told you sewing on Charles Sims a week ago. Not today, after... Jaquiz Rogers posts over 100 yards, and Charles Sims is on injured reserve. No, a week ago, Aaron Watson from Number Fire tweeted, quote, I said last week that Charles Sims was an average player, and don't be surprised if he's benched this week in favor of Jaquiz Rogers. Don't be surprised. Well, as it turns out, Charles Sims was not benched last week. Charles Sims was ineffective against the best defense in football, Then he hurt his knee, and he's since been placed on injured reserve. Charles Sims is not an average player. Jaquiz Rogers is an average player. And as we've talked about before, whether it's Cameron Artis-Payne scoring two touchdowns, or it's Jaquiz Rogers rolling up 100 yards rushing, below-average running back talents thrust into a starting role can absolutely be fantasy viable. How many guests have appeared on Roto Underworld Radio and said flatly, The thing that matters most is opportunity, not talent, specifically at the running back position in the NFL. And they're absolutely right. Regardless, Aaron Watson can now play the asymmetrical tout card. Charles Sims isn't here to argue with the guy touting Jaquiz Rogers. So Aaron Watson and his avatar, which has him on a podium giving a speech with one of those earpiece microphones rarely see the speech given by the guy with the earpiece microphone. That's a very rare thing. I've never seen that in person. I've seen streaming videos of the CEO of Apple. He can pull it off. So yes, if you're the CEO of Apple hosting a state of the union for technology, then you can pull off the earpiece microphone. But guy touting Jaquiz Rogers is never going to pull off the earpiece microphone from the podium. It's never going to happen. But we did find out who was talking to him in the earpiece because the question was posed, where is the empirical evidence that suggests that Jaquiz Rogers is a better football player than Charles Sims? Because we don't have any. His answer? A beat reporter told me. That's it. That's it. That's it. Right there, right? A beat reporter pull quote is enough. That's really all it takes to execute The asymmetrical tout. I have years of advanced metrics on Kevin White and Cameron Meredith to support my claim that Cameron Meredith is a better football player than Kevin White. And that's all superfluous because all you need is a pull quote from a beat reporter and one of the running backs in question to hurt his knee. But it also reveals that the prediction wasn't even his own, he was regurgitating the beat reporter's prediction which is just perfect so if charles sims somehow comes back in week 17 and outproduces Jaquiz rogers it's fine i didn't say it the beat reporter did i love it when fantasy analysts play telephone with the beat reporters but that's still the basis of i told you so's on twitter even though i really didn't stake a position if you go back and read all i said was don't be surprised that's enough that's enough I feel like I'm carving out a role for myself as the told-you-so Supreme Court judge. That is a valid told-you-so. That's not a valid told-you-so. I am the Supreme Judge of the told-you-so. Come before me to have your told-you-so validity judged. But I will admit that beat reporters, by consensus, were offering positive analysis of Cameron Meredith. Going all the way back to training camp this year, the Bears coaches were glowing about Cameron Meredith. So that did factor into my decision to upstack Cameron Meredith in my season-long rankings and push him into the top 50 for week five. But the analysis of beat reporters made up a very small portion of the underpinnings of my Cameron Meredith position. My position wasn't solely based on one sentence by a beat reporter a big difference i don't understand why so many fantasy analysts use the words of beat reporters as the primary basis for their analysis why do you all recite the beat reporter words as gospel they don't have a better prediction record than anyone else so why do you keep inviting them on your radio shows and podcasts i don't know I, in fact, I have their prediction record right in front of me. 51,568 correct predictions, 51,568 incorrect predictions. Those are official numbers. But here we go. Let's bring on the beat reporters so we can mail in another segment. I did this one time. I was on Sirius Satellite Radio's Rotoballer Radio Show with Real Talk Raf. Two months ago, Manish Meha, the beat reporter for... The New York Jets came on the program, and I asked him about Bilal Powell's role, and he said that Bilal Powell's role will not change. He will catch more passes than Matt Forte. He also said that Zach Sudfeld will be the starting tight end, beating out Jay Samaro. It's true, Jay Samaro was beat out, but Sudfeld was also cracked, and Powell has gone on to receive five touches per game. There were two actionable pieces of information I tried to glean about the Jets from Manish Meha, and he was wrong on both counts. So, why am I listening to him? I don't know. Lesson learned. It won't happen again. But think about the mechanics behind beat reports. Coaches are trained to say nothing, to speak in cliches. If a coach was considering benching Charles Sims for Jaquiz Rodgers, The last person on planet Earth the coach would tell about this is the beat reporter. The coach is more likely to tell this to a bathroom attendant than the beat reporter. Because the bathroom attendant is not a threat. The beat reporter is a threat to the coaches and the players. The last person they're going to be truthful with. Beyond that, the beat reporter is too close to the forest to see the trees. They're embedded Think about the reporters reporting from the Iraq war 10 years ago. Nothing but positive spin because they were embedded with the soldiers. They developed an affinity for those soldiers and they defended those soldiers and their mission in Iraq. Very little criticism was ever offered from the embedded Iraq war beat reporters. The analysts in Washington provided significantly more criticism of the war than the embedded beat reporters they are too close to the action to see it objectively that's the other problem the beat reporters have because the coaches and players distrust them and because they're too close to the action to see the players objectively the beat reporters may be your worst possible source for actionable fantasy football information So what the beat reporters end up writing in their newspapers and online blogs is more often than not a reverberation off their internal chatter. So it's not merely speculative, it's speculative hyperbole because they're only talking to one another and they're trying to one up each other. So even when they don't know what's going to happen, they still offer predictions. And that is often the most misguided information that you could possibly consume about NFL players. It's counterintuitive. You would think the reporter who's closest to the action would have the best information, when in reality, the information that they are publishing is the least accurate, the most noisy, the least actionable. So when you base a prediction based primarily off the speculation of beat reporters, it's like a bad copy of a bad copy. It's the worst possible type of prediction. We saw this in the preseason with the Tennessee Titans. Tajay Sharp is going to be a star. It was so clear to the beat reporters in Tennessee watching Tajay Sharp score touchdowns in shorts and seven-on-seven drills. And then what happens in week five, Andre Johnson, and Rashard Matthews equaled Sharp's target total, but Rashard Matthews scored 10 more fantasy points than Tajay Sharp last week. We missed our Tajay Sharp projection because we didn't know who the number one wide receiver for the Tennessee Titans was. So Andre Johnson, Rashard Matthews, Tajay Sharp. Oh, It was Tajay Sharp in week one. And then the team announced it would likely be Andre Johnson in week five, but it ended up being Rashard Matthews who was benched in week five but was still the team's leading receiver. It's Very confusing. The only thing we know about the Tennessee Titans week to week is that Delani Walker is one of the top tight ends in all of fantasy football. That we know. We also now know that Tajay Sharp was drastically overrated in the preseason. We talked about this on a number of shows. Go to the Tajay Sharp profile on playerprofiler.com. Scroll down. There's a media section where you can hear our analysis of Tajay Sharp throughout the preseason. As we shot warning flares in all directions, do not overdraft Tajay Sharp, the Amir Abdullah of 2016. Just like Amir Abdullah's ADP rocketed upward 10 rounds in 2015, Tajay Sharp's ADP did the same in 2016. That player archetype, the rookie preseason high riser, is the easiest to stay away from in fantasy drafts. But Tajay Sharp has an impressive prospect profile. 37.8% Dominator rating, 72nd percentile. His share of receiving yards, in particular at Massachusetts, was over 40%. And he was posting a 20% plus college Dominator at age 18. A prolific, precocious, wide receiver prospect who was destined to be a producer at the NFL level, but not necessarily a fantasy viable option as a rookie. Because this year, he was still a rookie fifth-round pick from UMass. And his best comparable is Stevie Johnson. Tajay Sharp looks the part of a svelte NFL slot receiver. He's not Corey Coleman. You saw these lateral moves. Dynasty players trading away Corey Coleman for Tajay Sharp. Dynasty rankings placing Tajay Sharp ahead of Corey Coleman. What? Made no sense. You could argue whether Tajay Sharp is a better dynasty asset than Laquan Treadwell right now. That's a valid argument. But Tajay Sharp's not in the class of a Corey Coleman or a Will Fuller or a Sterling Shepard. And this is where the best comparable feature on playerprofiler.com is helpful. It is difficult to find the fantasy wide receiver one with Tajay Sharp's stature so difficult to find they don't exist the stevie johnson archetype is fantasy viable a low-end wr2 a high-end wr3 if you're 6'2 194 there are no fantasy wr1s that are 6'2 194 i've heard eye test analysts compare tajay sharp to keenan allen you can't keenan allen's 15 pounds heavier than tajay sharp they're very different players tajay sharp's ceiling isn't nearly as high as Corey Coleman's and the idea that a prospect with that profile would struggle in his first year in the NFL is the most natural occurrence I could imagine. On the other hand, there was a prospect coming into the NFL that I believed was perfectly positioned to succeed as a rookie in the NFL. His name is Devontae Booker and his best comparable player, LaShawn McCoy. Go to the playerprofiler.com page for Devonte Booker and click on the tab to the right of metrics. It's called Game Log. In the Game Log tab, we have a column called Opportunity Share. There you can see the opportunity share difference week to week to week. Devontae Booker, 10% opportunity share, 20% opportunity share, 26% opportunity share. Last week, 41% opportunity share. Oh! Who's going to tell him? It's not going to be me. Who's going to tell him? Anybody? Who's raising their hand? Who wants to tell him? Who wants to be the one to tell the CJ Anderson owners that he is officially in the dreaded <sighs> running back by committee. Oh no. No. CJ! It's a committee. I don't want to be the one to tell them there are so many fantasy gamers in this community who love CJ Anderson. I have no idea why. I've never understood the CJ Anderson fascination in fantasy football leagues. You can go to the Devante Booker player page, scroll down to the media section, and there you can see my preseason analysis of Devonte Booker versus C.J. Anderson. And I talk about why I believe Devontae Booker is a better football player than C.J. Anderson. And on any given down and distance that Devontae Booker would give the Denver Broncos a better chance to win. And as every week goes by and the calendar turns from September to October... The Denver Broncos coaches have realized this. That's why Devontae Booker is my number one waiver claim heading into week six. I am pushing my chips into the middle of the table to get Devontae Booker. Other sites will tell you, go get Cameron Meredith. Well, (laughs) well, the funny thing is, I picked up Cameron Meredith for zero dollars in 10 leagues last week so i won't be spending any money on Cameron meredith but in the leagues in which Devonte booker is available i will be aggressively targeting him on the waiver wire my only issue is it's difficult to find Devonte booker in the player pool because we now have four different spellings of Devonte. we have Devontae Adams, D-A-V-A-N-T-E. We have Devontae Parker, D-E-V-A-N-T-E. We have Devontae Freeman, D-E-V-O-N-T-A. And now we have Devontae Booker, D-E-V-O-N-T-A-E. So if you can find a way to spell his name correctly, go get Devontae Booker.